You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And Wayne, I saw a tweet from you today, or an X or whatever you, you call it now, and um, it was to do with the commodity cycle. And I thought to myself, well, perhaps Wayne is, is, is panicking a bit here because he's actually put all the thoughts that you've put into podcasts over the last or well, six months, actually. You're actually putting it out there for other people. But, the cycle, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to find it in a second, but briefly tell me, Tell me your theory yeah. again, if no, you look, would. Look, number one, my theory is based on that there is a commodity cycle. Yes. Okay. No one knows the future, but the commodity cycle has never stopped since we've had commodities. Okay. It goes up and it goes down. And then it goes up again. And at the moment, we're in the down part of the cycle. Hence, all the news coming out of the mines, profits down 90%. Some are making losses retrenchments, restructurings, and of course, atrociously poor share price performance. We assume that into the future, there will be an upcycle. I might be wrong. I mean, the world might be completely different into the future than what it has been in the past. So I might be wrong. There might not be an upcycle. No, as I said before, nobody knows the future. No one. It is an unknown to everyone. But when you at any juncture of top or bottom of any cycle, by the way, when you're at the top, you only hear good news and it's going to carry on forever. And we've seen many, many occasions where it didn't carry on forever. There was a down cycle. You know, take platinum, for example, in 2008, on the back of the China years, you were in the Chinese super cycle. These prices were never going to fall. There would be continuous demand out of China and there weren't enough commodities around, and the shares are just going to go up. We had exactly the same with the dot-com bubble, and we've had exactly the same with the financial services bubble in the mid-90s, and every other bubble you want to go back to. At the top of the cycle, you only hear good news, and it's going to carry on forever, because this time around, the future is different. Now, at the bottom of the cycle, you get exactly the same stories. It's just that the bad times are going to carry on forever, And all you're going to hear is bad news. And all you're going to hear is structural reasons why we're not going to have an upcycle. And to once again, to come back to platinum, it's now EVs and batteries are taking over. So there's going to be no demand for platinum going forward. And it's dead in the water. And you cannot find a single good reason to buy the shares other than you believe if you believe there is an upcycle, now is the time you should be buying them. And just two other, I suppose, pointers is the bad news peaks. The worst slug of bad news you're going to ever hear about anything happens the day before the prices go up. Yes. And the same at the top. Good news peaks the day before the price falls. So we can use the NASDAQ, for example, in the Magnificent Seven, And let's just use the NASDAQ, for example. Now, the returns on the NASDAQ in the last year have been spectacular. But essentially, they're only back to where they were two years ago before a spectacular collapse. People don't think about this. The shares are only where they were two years ago, the NASDAQ, the index. It's only where it was two years ago. Well, there's a few Um, high flyers. There's a few high flyers. Clearly, there are. There's always high flyers within an index. Hmm. But people have seemed to forget that 
a lot of these shares fell 50, 60, 70%. You know, the year before last. I go back as far as 2000. Um, I go back as far as March 2000, Wayne, when, uh, when yeah. the Nasdaq was at 5,000 or close to 5,000. And then we had the, the crash, the dot-com crash. And I can't remember how many years it took to get back to the, the same levels, like the Nikkei Dow, for example, in Japan. Well, that took 10 years. Yeah. Same 10 to 12 thing, yeah. years. It, it, sometimes it yeah. takes a long, look, long not, time. No, no, look, first of all, I'm not for a moment suggesting that the modern Magnificent Seven, the modern tech shares are anything like the dot-com. They're not. These have got proper businesses with proper profits and proper cash flows. But I'm just talking specifically about the commodity cycle. So is there going to be a future? You know, are the shares at the bottom? I mean, let me give you another example. Take Amplats. It's down from 2,500 to 700, mm. below 700. And it went to 650 or something in November last year. Then we had this one smidgen of good news out of America, the so-called pivot speech by the Federal Reserve. Within a month, it almost touched 1,000. Eh? Now it's gone back again. So you just needed one little sparkle of news there. She reacted quite smartly on the upside. Eh? Mm. You know, so we're sitting at, I think, one of these juncture points now, one of these turning points. And will it turn this year, next month, this year, next year? I don't know. But on a two to three year outlook, I think there will still be a commodity upcycle because interest rates are going to be cut. Global growth will recover. I understand. There's been yeah, absolutely I... no investment in new capacity since 2015. It's all you very know, true. So we could I've, see I've, a sharp recovery. I've, I've seen you. I've seen your tweet, and I'm going to read it out because it neatly summarises everything you've just said. Wayne McCurry, seven hours ago, said the following. The commodity cycle, what is happening now is very normal at the bottom of the cycle. Profits and dividends plummet, retrenchment, retrenchments, closing shafts, lower output, etc. All news is negative. No possible reasons to buy. This time is different. There are new factors at play, etc. So you're being cynical here. But there is one thing with the platinum group metals, which I can't quite fathom. And that is the demand. And that is the the combustion engine, you know, with the catalytic con converter. And yeah. if, if electric cars that's are the future. One third of that, mm. That's about one third of, 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 of use. Yes, electric cars are the future. I've got you on that. Personally, I'm not sure battery electric is the future. Okay. Batteries have some inherent problems, essentially charging, inherent problems. It's like swimming, it's like filling your swimming pool at home. Call your, call your swimming pool a battery. If you've got a little hose pipe filling it up, it takes a long time to fill. If you've got a huge fire hydrant, you can fill the pool quickly. Batteries are the same. If you only charge the battery quickly, you have got to have serious amperage capacity lines at your house or at a charging station, all of these good things. Now, talk about batteries now in particular. Seen what's happened to the price, the price of lithium and all of these things that go into batteries? Collapsed. Collapsed because there was such a hype about them. It was the future. You had to get lithium exposure. How much has it fallen by? I can't quite remember. 90%. 90% lithium has. Uh, it's yeah. it an extraordinary story. So, so you story. see the bubble can burst, and this was the big thing. Now, let's just talk. Electric. Electric is the future, by the way. And there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. As I said, I'm not sure if it's battery electric. It might be fuel cell electric. It might be hybrid electric. I'm just not sure battery electric is going to work. Now, 
the current news out is that electric vehicles, the sales aren't as good as what people thought. Eh? 25% down so, in the United uh, Kingdom over the over yeah. the last year, which, which yeah. is a they, big they, move. They, 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 there's, not that much, there's not as much demand out there for, uh, for, for electric vehicles as what people were predicting at all, yeah. because they're expensive. And no matter why, how much you spin them, they have limited range. And no matter how much you spin it, it takes you longer to charge a battery than it does to fill up your car at the petrol pump. But we okay. do know, Wayne, that Elon but, Musk but, but, will come up with something, or a new Elon Musk will come up with something that means what you've just said will be an old argument. You do agree with that, don't you? I, I got you. I got you. I said, I don't think it will be battery electric. Electric is the future. I personally think it will be fuel cell electric, because there, there you can run indefinitely. You don't have to charge. It creates its own electricity using hydrogen and lots of platinum, by the way, yes, and palladium. Yeah. But, 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 but forget about all of that. Forget all of that. The numbers talk. Okay, There are 1.3 billion internal combustion engines in the world today. Yeah, 1.3 billion. the overwhelming majority are 1.3 billion. billion. Right, writing this down. Go okay. on. And the overwhelming majority are just ordinary motor cars, but there's all the other ships and all the other internal combustion engines in them. Motor vehicle sales are about 100 million a year. So even if the full 100 million are electric vehicles in total, which they're not, electric vehicle is only about 15% of that at the moment, if that. I might even be too optimistic in that. Even if it were 100%, it should still take you 10, 12, 13 years to replace all the demand for internal, to replace all com demand for platinum in internal combustion engines. So in other words, it's going to take you a long time to go through the car park and you're not even, it's not even selling 100% EVs now, battery EVs. In fact, hybrids are probably doing better than battery EVs because hybrids use an exhaust. Uh, secondly, with the invasion of Russia, a Russian invasion of Ukraine, People were, the manufacturers were very concerned that uh, there would be sanctions imposed on Russian PGMs. So they stockpiled massively. And that's why we had that huge boom two years ago when Anglo, when Anglo, when Amplats hit 2,500 and they were paying out dividends like there was no tomorrow. And all of those dividends actually paid for all of our government's expenses on COVID because they had a boost here in tax revenue because the platinum mines were generating profits like there was no tomorrow, but there was a tomorrow. So the, the system is overstocked now. So there's no actual demand right now. There's not big demand for platinum right now because they're still going through the stockpiles. And another factor is because the prices are so low, it's not really worthwhile uh, extracting the platinum and palladium from the used exhaust. So that recycling thing is almost ground to a halt now. So I still think there will be a cycle. I, a battery electric is the way to go, but these things always take significantly longer to actually occur than what initial predictions are. Now, a classic example, and I was thinking about it quite, 
quite uh, extensively over the last few days. Just before you give me the, this example, because it's in my head now, you talked about the hybrid system. I know you're a motor car man. In future, you won't be able to be called a petrol head. You'll be called an EV head or something. But that's not the point. The point is that a friend of mine, uh, he wanted to buy a, an SUV and said, do you know anything about cars? And of course, I don't. But he said, look, I'm looking at the, um, the VW Tiguan which is a smaller sort of compact SUV car. It's not, it's not particularly good looking, but apparently it's very reliable. And he wanted to buy an electric version because he's, he's thinking of having a point put in, an electric charging point put into his home in the Netherlands, which is advertised on television, incidentally, so it must be quite mainstream. But the dealer said, don't buy a pure EV, buy the Tiguan, the VW Tiguan, Hybrid. hybrid. It's much, much yeah. better, and that backs up what you've just said. Wayne, you were giving me an example about something. Please go ahead. Yeah. The first time I heard about this internet and shopping online yeah. was in about 1994. And leading up from 94, 95, leading up to the dot-com bubble, the future was people are not going to shop anymore. There will be no need for physical shop infrastructure. There will be no need for bricks and mortar. This is the new age, and that's, as we spoke about early on, is when the NASDAQ hit or was predicted to hit 5,000, and then the dot-com bubble burst. Only now are, is online actually taking off. You know, and that's 20, 30 years later. So these things are unstoppable, but they take significantly longer to, to actually realize than what initial projections are good point very good point and by that time and even now retail sales online in very developed countries is probably 30 or 40 percent and the shops are still there shops the shops are still there they may have changed their nature there may be more display units and where you come to look at things but shops are still there and shopping is still there because somehow we humans like to kick tires so you'll You'll, 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 you'll order a lot of things online, but you'll only really order the stuff you know and the brands you trust where you know what you're getting. If something new comes out, you know, you'll, you want to go look at it. You're not going to just order it, you know. So, but, but, but the point is, these trends are unstoppable, but take significantly longer to come to fruition than initial estimates. Same with battery, same with even with battery EV. As you said, sales in the UK are down 25%. The lithium price is absolutely, remember what a year ago, two years ago, whenever it peaked, I can't quite remember. That was the future. You had to have a lithium ETF in your portfolio because this is the new age. And all you heard was there's a shortage of lithium and batteries sales are going through the roof. And everyone's building battery manufacturing plants the size of small countries. And, you know, you, you, all you hear is good news. Now, it doesn't mean that batteries are not the future, but there was just way too much hype about it. And I think there's way too much negative hype now about the platinum price and the palladium price. As you can see from Implats, Amplats, all of them, Sibanya, the whole lot, Northern, no one's making money at current prices and everyone's cutting production. So it's a very normal cycle. Production is being cut at the bottom of the cycle. There's been no new investment, thank goodness. And we are heading into a period of lower global interest rates over the next two to three years, which 
should stimulate demand because it always does. It will help China lower interest rates because China will be able to export more to the US, Europe, the UK that's doing better because of lower interest rates. And the share prices are pricing in disasters. Eh? So there's a good chance. So it's a typical value approach. It's a typical, for want of a better word, John Bickard value fund approach. <laughs> okay, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Wayne, just to sum up the commodity cycle thing, I remember yeah, it was about two years ago, funnily enough, I saw a programme about the beautiful county of Cornwall in the United Kingdom, the southwest of England. It's a lovely place to, to go, packed with uh, people with second homes. You know, it's, a, it's sort of almost like a Plettenberg Bay style place. But um, they yeah. found uh, it, it used to be a tin mining county and they were uh, digging around and they found lithium. And everyone thought this is a fantastic thing and this company was going to list and everything because there's no lithium in the world. And suddenly, every, yeah. that, that, that Cornwall example has been replicated worldwide and everybody suddenly found a lithium mine. So the, so the supply overwhelmed the demand and, mm. uh, the share, and the metal price, rather, not the share price, the metal price fell 90%. Now, Wayne, you spoke about platinum mines and you spoke about uh, revenue and that's obviously got something to do with the budget that we've had today in South Africa. And I'm sorry yes. if we didn't do it first, but quite honestly, it's almost as though we knew what was going to happen. But you sent out a tweet yes. uh, 48 minutes ago. It says, as expected, government will use some of the South African Reserve Bank reserves to balance budget and keep deficit to medium term budget target of 4.9% or $150 billion over three years. Was the budget, uh, were there any surprises in the budget for the investment community? Well, no taxes have gone up. That's good news. Yes. But... Now, this is a difficult one because those reserves, those reserves arise because we own, we, we own dollars. We hold dollars. The Reserve Bank holds dollars and gold, but mainly dollars and other currencies, but mainly dollars to essentially keep the country liquid in foreign exchange and to support the rand when they have to. So in other words, they're guaranteeing a market. There's, there's, always a market for the RAND because the Reserve Bank, so you never get a 500% collapse in the currency like you do in Nigeria and other countries that have no foreign exchange reserve. So it's a, it's, 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 it's savings. It's, it's a bolster. It's, it's a reserve. That's what it is. But because of RAND weakness, when you value those same 50 billion US dollars or however many billion US dollars, when the RAND weakens it and weakens it and you value it in RANDs, you show a huge paper profit because the RAND's weakening. So $1 used to be 14 to the RAND. It's now 19 to the RAND. So you have made profits by owning dollar assets. You've made profits. Now, this is all very funny accounting, by the way. These, these, that, that, those billions of RANDs don't exist in a bank account. They exist as dollars that the Reserve Bank holds. And should the RAND weak, should the RAND strengthen, which, I mean, you can't even mention RAND strength at the moment, but it's strengthened every single time when you've had a commodity upcycle in the past and strengthened quite significantly. If that RAND, if the RAND strengthens, those profits disappear like the morning dew. You know, they just, because it's a paper entry. So, what the reserve or what the fiscus has done now, what the Minister of Finance has done, is highly unusual to attach some of those profits. Now, that, those profits are owned by the company. 
you know. So it's not as though it's an asset that the the, the country doesn't own. It, it it is a country asset. Those reserves are country assets. But it's almost like I don't know. I'm an accountant. It's almost like a one-sided journal entry. The Reserve Bank can just print that money. It can just make that money. Reserve Bank worldwide, except if you're the Namibian Reserve Bank and some other reserve banks that are tied to the dollar or tied to another currency, um, reserve banks can print money out of fresh air. They can deposit money into the government's bank account where it just is created out of fresh air. Now, we've seen the net result of using that too much like Zimbabwe where you just print money, where the Reserve Bank just makes money. It just prints money. You get a total and utter collapse in your currency and the country and the economy and everything. So what the, and I'm not saying it's going to happen now because these numbers in the bigger scheme of things are actually minute. And I don't know if you remember, I, I don't know, when, I don't know when it was, but in the quite recent past, yeah. There was even story that the Reserve Bank must just buy Eskom's debt. Just buy it. Hmm. Sounds a bit Because um, the Reserve Bank can print money. The Reserve Bank can print money and deposit it into Eskom's bank account so they can pay off all of their creditors. Are you saying then that the Minister of Finance is starting to become more creative with South Africa's finance? Unusual. I mean, yeah. Doing okay. something that it, the, the Federal Reserve time, might do, for example. Time, it's the first time I've ever heard of this happening in South Africa. Mm, that's quite good, I, I think. might be wrong. I might be wrong, but it's the first time I've ever heard of this happening. Now, it is slightly differently than just turning on the printing press because these reserves, even though they're unrealized, they do actually exist. So you are tapping into a reserve that actually does exist. I mean, those dollars are there. Yeah. Not as though they're printing money purely out of fresh air like in Zimbabwe and that. So that, that money... It, it, is there even though it's unrealized but it's there for a very different purpose than to be used to bolster government's fiscal position you know it's there to in emergencies provide liquidity in the rand it's there to if it's necessary to actually support the rand in other words sell dollars and buy rand it's 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 there for a purpose it's there to cover imports you know it's there to pay back foreign loans. You know, it's, that money is there for a purpose. It does, it's just not there for fun, you know, to be raided whenever you want to. So as long as this is not a continual story that it just you just dip into this pool to effectively subsidize a poor budget, essentially, you know, then that's fine. And, and and even though the numbers look astronomical, then they're actually peanuts in the bigger scheme of things, to be honest. So, so this is never going to cause a huge wave now. But if this is a continual thing, mm. just continually dipping your fingers into that. Now, I don't think so. I, I, I don't take a negative view. You think it's on a once-off? Do you think it's a once-off? Or do you think that they're betting on the trade balance getting better in the future and therefore those dollars accumulate, etc., if that's where the dollars are coming from? Well, and therefore they can do it again yes. if they need to? Yes, yes. In other words, in other words, coming back to what you spent the whole, most of the program talking about, yeah. South Africa is a commodity exporting country. Full stop. Forget virtually everything else about our economy and just remember we're a commodity country. When commodities do well, we do well like we did in the good China years and in 
other previous cycles since then and pre then, but China was the big one. You, we do well, and when the commodities do badly, we do badly. Our land tanks, mm. our inflation goes up, our interest rate goes up, and economic growth suffers. Virtually forget everything else. And by the way, if we were in a commodity down cycle with a far more efficient government and a working ESKIM and a working transnet, we would still have a down cycle. It would just be less intense. So in other words, forget virtually everything else. We are a commodity exporting country. And in a down cycle, we go down with that, with that cycle. Okay, so when and the, hence, when, that's exactly yeah. where we are now. It's mm. exacerbated by Eskom and Transnet and the government and inefficiencies and corruption and blah, blah, blah. But it just exacerbates the cycle. Exactly the same as three years ago when we were in an up cycle. We still had Eskom, we still had Transnet, we still had all of these problems, we still had bribery and corruption. But damn it, we had an, we had an up cycle where tax revenues were 15 billion higher than budget. So as long as over the next two or three years, we get a resumption of the commodity cycle. Tax revenue should recover, and we shouldn't have to dip our fingers into this pot until possibly the next commodity down cycle. Hopefully by then we'll have sorted out some more problems because, I mean, I, 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 so the biggest question I'm faced in South Africa is we had absolute catastrophe, disaster, Head for the yields. Take as much money as you possibly can overseas, <laughs> yes. and you should seriously think about moving overseas as well if you can afford it. So I'm not defending the country. Well, I actually am defending the country. I'm not defending the government. But this is the biggest question I get asked. The government is so corrupt. They're so useless. They're so they're terrible, you know? So there's an element of truth in that in that statement. It was a little bit, yes, uh, a little bit too but we, barbed, but yes, but I see we what you forget mean. a lot of things here in South Africa. We forget a lot of things. Like what? State capture has been stopped. There's still bribery and corruption and inefficiencies, but state capture has been stopped. Every single institution that was captured, the PIC, the lotto, the lottery, the land bank, the ESKIM, Transnet, and a host of other things, the NPA, the SIU, the management and the running has been totally and utterly changed. So the, the, the state capture has actually been stopped. I mean, even when the DA speaks now, they don't talk about a continuation of state capture. They talk about a continuation of corruption and inefficiencies and cadre cadre redeployment, which are all valid and true. But we somehow forget that Zuma and his cronies are, aren't in charge anymore in any of these organizations or in charge of the government. State capture actually has been stopped. It maybe hasn't been reversed quick enough. It, the, 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 a lot of the efficiencies that should be there are not there in running the state, but state capture actually has been stopped. I mean, would you have ever thought that uh, let's what was it six eight years ago that Zuma for whatever reasons and what would actually be a criminal he'd actually be tried in a court and I mean put, that was an impossible thought when he was mm. state president 
Yeah. To what? forget that he was released on the blah, 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 and X, Y, Z by his cronies. He's still a criminal. All those guys are gone. Mm. They're gone. The whole police management has been changed. They're gone. I'm not saying the guys who've taken over or efficient or as good as what they could be, but state capture actually has been reversed. And no matter what you think of the new uh, regime in the ANC and president and our president, he actually he has actually stopped state capture. Wayne, it should never have been allowed no, no, totally, in, totally, in, in the first totally. place. So it's like saying this really, moment, really I'm bad not, thing well, that you caused, that you allowed to happen, you've taken it away now, so it's good. It's not yeah. good. There's still more murders in South Africa. We're yeah, talking about the police, which annoys not, me. At least we're not walking down, at least we're not carrying on down that particular road no. with the Guptas running. No, it's very country. true. You know, so, but I mean, there's so many. The government should be totally, the ANC should be totally and utterly ashamed of what they've done in the last 14 years. Because quite frankly, during the 90s and up until 2010, the ANC actually ran the country, to be honest, from an economic viewpoint quite well. I mean, we, we became investment grade, you know. Mm. Our deficit was virtually, it was all China and commodities, but our, our debt to GDP was 21%. We were running very low deficits. We had a structural, people also forget this, in the early 90s, normal interest rates in South Africa, and I'm talking long bond now, or let's talk, let's talk mortgage bonds. Normal mortgage bond rates in South Africa in the mid-90s were 21%. You know, under the ANC, our long bond rate dropped from, you know, well, let's talk long bond rather than mortgage bond, sorry. Our long bond rate dropped from 15% down to 6 yeah. It's back up at 10 But that's also cyclical. You know, so the ANC in the first, call it effectively, call it 20 years, actually did a good job running the country's finances. We had Trevor Manuel as the finance minister. Hmm. We were proud. I was proud of the way the, 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 the government was running the finances. Those days will come back, Wayne. I'm, sure, the I'm sure they will come back. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. And on that interest rate story, I, I bought a house in Johannesburg with a mortgage, with a bond, when the interest rate was... I mean, it was one of the best investments ever made, 24.5% interest rate. And I, I, I bought a, a floating bond rate loan. Mm. And uh, and the thing just, you never saw that again. And I don't think you'll see it again yeah. unless something catastrophic happens. Now, Wayne, we yes. have to move on to something else now because you've given us a lovely idea of why we should be buying the RAND. When I, when I hear this and when I hear it again later on, when I play it back to myself, I think Wayne is a great advocate for going long the RAND if you're a currency trader so I'll, I'll watch that and i'll remember this 1883 yeah. or something this time of the cycle yeah if i'm if i'm right and we get a commodity up cycle and the rand strengthens to i don't know pick a number 17 16 pick a number then you must take as much money possibly as you can overseas because then the next thing that will happen will be a down cycle but should the rand do that when it's 16 or 17, all you're going to hear is good news about the rand. Hmm. And then you said And it. how it's going to carry on strengthening. Yeah. You know, okay. this is a cyclical thing. I'm not pro the rand. I'm just pro the rand at the bottom of a commodity cycle. Well, I'm sure that you'll make some adjustments. We have important things to talk about. Yeah, we have much more important things to talk about because, Wayne... Yeah, I've, got, I've got one very important thing to talk about. Okay, I'll tell you my very important thing as well because I remember you telling me, mm. I think it was around a year ago, and you said that there's a pole in your office and it's close to the wall and you're finding it difficult to get in between the pole and the wall because you'd had maybe... Uh, I can still make it. Oh, you can make it now, can I you? I can okay. still make it. In fact, I've got some very good news here today. 
Can I tell my story first? Um, Let me tell my story. story Yeah, okay, because I've I've had the same thing, metaphorically speaking. I'm I'm squeezing between the pole and the wall, but I'd rather just glide through effortlessly. So I went to one of these Mm. shops that your probably your mother in Kimberley used to go to when she was um, when she was looking after the the McCurry family, and she would probably go to a little shop for one thing and a little shop for another. I go to a little shop which I called MFS, my favourite shop. It's a green grocer, and it's run by three or four women, Dutch women, barely speak English. But when you go in there, it's like a treasure trove of vegetables that you don't see at the supermarket. They're, they're big and vibrant, and they come from local farms. And I bought something a couple of weeks ago, which I've had before, but have ignored, the Jerusalem artichoke, which is not an artichoke as Ooh. we know it, but the Jerusalem artichoke, it's nutty. And you, I just cut the ends off, as instructed delicious. by artichoke the Dutch woman, and then you, you roast them. But it's not the normal artichoke this is the jerusalem artichoke which is more like a tuber more like a potato and i have to tell you that with olive oil and, and salt and pepper those things roasted that they have no, now I taken they've taken away the potatoes for me because potatoes don't help our waistline away despite the fact they're delicious yeah. so i'm on jerusalem artichokes now that's all i've got but you, no, you, you've got I a good one like artichokes. oh yeah, you must yeah i mean just to come back to my mother he was a really sweet person <laughs> miss her terribly actually the only vegetable she ever cooked was Brussels sprouts. Blimey. And she never ate them. She forced my brother and I to eat them because they're good for you. But anyway, that's another story. Yes, your um, story. Now I went I was in Cape Town last night to go look at some motor cars. And I went to a local cafe restaurant in Seapoint. They had a very nice main meal. Mm. But then for the first time in my life, I've heard about it before. I tried key lime pie key lime pie never heard of it key lime pie it's an american thing it's similar to um lemon meringue but it's made with lime juice and it's green it's not yellow mm. but it's not nearly as it's got a bit of sweetness in it so it's not nearly as sweet as the as our lemon traditional lemon meringue here in south africa it's got a real balance between sweetness and lemon lime it was totally and utterly delicious. Because I've seen quite a few American programs, the cooking programs, and also just contemporary programs, where people spoke about or ate or ordered key lime pie. If anyone sees it on a menu, yeah. they should give it a bash. It was delicious. Gosh, I didn't know you. Had, well, I know you had a bit of a sweet tooth because your, uh, your your partner, the world's greatest rugby fan, has to hide chocolate from you. I remember that story. Mm. Uh, so you yeah, have got a sweet tooth. Mm. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, but the other, the other good news I want to tell you, the other piece of good news, <laughs> I went to Cape Town. So I went to Cape Town last night, and my belt ran out of notches, but on the good side, not the bad side. Uh, that's interesting. So you've lost weight, in so other I words. Come, I, I, I had to come to the garage. Yeah, I've got a little set that cuts a little holes in leathers and punch out another hole. Otherwise, my pants keep falling off. Goodness me. How did that so happen? Or oh, did you make an effort or was it just natural? No, just maybe it's just old age catching up with me or maybe my my stomach's, my, my ass is shrinking bigger than, my, quicker than what my stomach's getting Okay. That can happen. The belt can I be know, under the I, stomach. I was quite chuffed with this. I think. I think. I was quite chuffed with you, this. You've got a lot of. You, yeah. Well, I, I commend you for that. Uh, that great reason for going back to pick and pay and buying some new belts, which is great. Wayne, thank you very much for your time. As always, Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at F and B Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. 
The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.